Hello and welcome to episode 128 of The Winning Agenda. My name is Jesse Marshall and joining me tonight all the way from a few kilometers away is everybody's favorite, lovable Bioroid, uh, my Bioroid sidekick and or overlord, Wilfred E. Horrig. You sound much more excited tonight than usual, Jesse. I, I have a banana. I have to admit. I have a banana, also known as a strong yellow. Thank you, Michael Barter wow. and Thomas Daniel for introducing <laughs> me to this concept. Um, yeah, bananas are just so much more appealing when you call them strong yellows. Wait, how do they compare <laughs> to your other favorite thing, which is a carrot? Uh, they are similarly warm on the color spectrum. Uh, mm-hmm. Carrots being orange have a special appeal to me because I quite like orange things. Uh, carrots are more crunchy. Bananas are a little softer. Uh, but bananas are sweet, and I like sweet things. Uh, carrots are also sweet, but not quite as sweet. How do you feel about plantains? Plantains are like fried bananas. Uh, they're just not sweet at all. And you can't eat them raw, can you? Like, they're not very nice. No. Okay, so you, so you don't like plantains, love carrots, love bananas. Yeah, I mean, would you take a plantain to a tournament? Okay, um... Just raw? Like, just crack is, it out, peel it up? You know what, you got me there. Yeah. I, 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 I concede, you got me. Yeah, so uh, bananas and carrots, great tournament fare, uh, is the moral of the story. Uh, so I that's, think so too. That's Wilfred E. Harig. Thank you, Wilfred. I'm glad you agree. We'll, we'll get back to tournament snack foods, which is the topic of today's episode very shortly. But before mm-hmm. we do... <laughs> Our other panelists this week, joining us once again after a week off, is Hollis M. Echo. How are you, Hollis? I'm well, man. I'm so excited to be back and hang out and chill with you guys. You guys are so fun. It's great to have you here, Hollis. What's your favorite tournament snack food? Uh, I actually like uh, like protein bars. Uh huh. Any particular flavor? Like any, uh, usually like peanut butter. Mm-hmm. Like peanut butter protein bars, they're the, they're the best. I love those. Talk us through the advantages and disadvantages. How does it impact on your opponent? How do they react when they see your protein bar? And what does a protein bar do for you in terms of performance? Well, so the first thing is, is like if they see me with a protein bar, the first immediate question they ask themselves is, A, does this guy like work out? Mm-hmm. And it's usually going to be a yes. Like That's going to be the first answer. Once they determine it, once they believe that I work out, they're pretty sure that if they like beat me in that game, they're gonna have a problem immediately after the game ends. I'm not promoting violence. I'm just saying I'm promoting intimidation. So there's that factor. So you put them in this like lose lose where it's like, all right, if I lose the game, it's fine. I'm not gonna get like accosted after. But if I beat him in this game, there's a possibility that I might. He's unpredictable. I don't know. Clearly, he works out. It's a very so I don't know. I find that to be the most advantageous. It's a very American answer, Hollis. Thanks for that. Um, Wilfred, Wilfred, uh, no Wilfred. What are your thoughts on tournament snacks? What's your favorite? Uh, I like muesli bars. I think that I like yogurt topped muesli bars, especially. Mm-hmm. I think Jesse, we may have discussed this before. Yep. Uh, so chewy ones or crunchy uh, ones? Chewy, I think. Yeah. Although, yeah, you know, there's a place for both. But just anything that you can eat very quickly, that's the ideal tournament so snack food. So efficiency is important in tournament snack foods, is it? Very important, as in most other areas. Great. Thanks for that, Wilfie. Uh, now, moving on from 
our first topic, which was tournament snack foods. We hope you enjoyed that section, uh, that segment rather. We might reprise it at a later date in a little more depth, depending on user feedback. So if you want to know a little bit more about how the winning agenda prepares for and sustain them, sustains themselves through a, a long tournament using snack foods, perhaps even drinks, if, if you want to hear more about that, let us know. Um, today though, our secondary topic, which we have a little bit of time to discuss, which is great, is Earth Scion Corp cards. Uh, so we're going to go through the rest of the pack. We have, as you've probably noticed by now, a fantastic double header episode this week. We've got, we've already had the second half of Terminal Directive, sorry, the, the third, the fourth, fourth quarter of Terminal Directive, the Wayland Corp cards and the Neutral Corp cards. And we're also bringing you this week, this fantastic extra episode of Tournament Snack Foods and Earth Scion Corp, uh, Corp cards. So the first Corp card in Earth Scion is next Opal. It is a four cost Codegate Observer Next. It's three strength. And what does it say, Wilfie? It says, Next Opal gains install one card from HQ, paying all costs for each rest piece of Next Ice. Is this a good Next Ice? Me? Yeah, Wilfie, that one's Wilf, for you. Wilfie, how are you? Yeah, as uh, our resident Haas Byroid expert. Yes, uh, really stereotyped there, but that's okay. We'll deal with that later. So I think next Opal has a fundamental problem that the other next ice don't, which is that the subroutine is really only effective the first time the runner runs into it. Like this sort of ability, while it may be very strong, if you can ambush the runner with it, it doesn't take long before there just aren't that many cards that you can install from HQ to actually gain value. Like, in your turn, even if you play, like, even if you have mostly installables in your deck, it really isn't that common that you'll actually be able to get much advantage out of this card just because on your turn, if you want to, you can install multiple cards so if the runner wants to they there is a point in the game where the runner can just let this fire and it doesn't actually do anything to impede them which is, it is a big good enough, issue on an ice is it good enough to just have another next ice like is that enough in yeah general? that's i think the primary consideration so at the moment no but potentially when um rotation hits and Ne the kind of next suite needs to be redeveloped a little bit yep. that's I think the only consideration just because if you're going to play next dice all you really need a critical mass to make the payoff cards work like especially next gold um, and if this can be a 4 cost 3 strength next ice with you know a subroutine that is relevant at some stages in the game it ranges from being fairly powerful to completely irrelevant, which is, you know, not so great, but th the fact that is a also a reasonable... If the next ability is... If the next typing is very relevant to you, then it's not the worst piece of ice you can play, I think, but I wouldn't play it in a deck, like, just by itself or with... W unless you're going all in on the next strategy mm. there are two weaknesses to having this sort of effect on an ice as opposed to on a card like uh it's the new agenda the four for two um that lets you install successful, a successful field, field test. test yeah 
Yeah. So a card like Successful Field Test, you can combo with other cards like Estelle Moon that let you draw a whole lot of cards in your turn. I mean, yes, you can Moon on their turn. Uh, so I guess uh, maybe if you have this on a server in front of Estelle Moon, maybe that would work out well. And then when they run it, um, you pop this... Uh, sorry, when, when they run it, you res this, you pop your Estelle Moon, and you've got a whole lot of stuff in hand to install. So maybe there's a combo going on there. Um, but in general, I think it's outside of Estelle Moon, a lot harder to have card draw effects that feed directly into the t the point in time where the runner's going to run into this. So things like Daily Business Show, Sensi, other things that trigger at the start of your turn, you will have had to discard some of those cards by the end of your turn. And then by the time the runner's actually running on this, you're less likely to have a surplus of cards in hand that you're going to be wanting to install. Um, that being said, I think the ability is reasonably powerful in the next strategy where you're wanting to... Uh, sort of develop your board really quickly. Um, in in a sense, this could once you've got one or two other pieces of next ice, this is essentially the ability of next design on an ice. Uh, so you know that idea was playable to some degree for a while. You know it enabled setting up your defenses early. Perhaps having that effect before the first turn is more important than getting it thereafter. But certainly if you have this as one of your opening pieces of ice in your... one of the pieces of ice in your opening hand, uh, and the runner does run on it, it lets you develop your board more quickly from there. So, I don't know. It, it fits within the strategy, which makes you think maybe there's a place for it as a one or two of, just for in terms of buffing your silvers and bronzes and golds. Uh, but, yeah, the ability's not amazing for ice. Hollis, any thoughts? I think when I compared this to, uh, you know, the, the previous iteration of, of Next Eye, so when we look at, you know, gold, silver, bronze, and we understand those are those are all rotating out, um, following, I guess, closer to worlds. Um, those each, you know, had... E for each one, their strength was, like, significant compared to, like, what this card individually provides. Like, adding plus one strength, adding additional subroutines, and... Isn't, like, isn't uh, only bronze rotating? damage. Is it only bronze rotates? I think so. Hey. Yeah, that's what I thought. Yeah. I, I thought gold Sorry. wasn't rotating. I'm not sure. Gold's very rotating. new. There was ages between bronze yeah. and the rest. Uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Go so it's, it's only bronze rotating. Mm, but when I yeah. when I look at, like, the the power level of next ice versus, like, the you know, the actual res cost of that ice compared to next opal, this card seems surprisingly overwhelming by comparison. Now, I know they obviously can't just simply, uh, or at least they probably try not to, just, like, reprint the same piece of ice, you know, each time. But I would have liked to see like maybe a next a next piece of ice that was on the same similar power level. Um, knowing that this card is so easily broken by Yogg, and number one is is still always going to be a negative in my mind as long as Yogg exists in the game. But it's also uh, it's also knowing that this this effect, as you guys have stated before in your own ways, right? Like there's a certain point in the game where this is either hugely beneficial, like maybe beginning of the game, mm -hmm. where it's similar, like, where where like it's the architect effect. You you basically gain so many clicks as a result. Um, that this card's gonna, you know, has already paid for itself. But then it's, then you get to that point where it's like, well, I don't really know if I have anything to install. And if I don't install anything, does that telegraph I have agendas? You know, like it, it, it in a way, it can provide information to the runner that maybe you don't want them to have. Mm. And while I know, I understand That's the runner true. has to read into that. They have to go, oh well, you know, you're not installing anything. Maybe you just don't want to play these assets, but. To me, I think the most the most often time I would never install something would be when I know I have like one to two agendas in hand, and I don't need to reduce my overall hand size. So, um, even that, like giving a nod to the runner of when they should run HQ, to me is a pretty dangerous uh, effect 
to to I guess to to weaken myself. I, I don't know. Like I, I think it's pretty underwhelming. But I agree. If it's if you need more next ice, this is an option. You know, it'll buff everything else that's next. So maybe a one to two up isn't bad. The next card in the pack is Bioroid Work Crew. It is an asset Bioroid. Two to res, four to trash. It's got a trash ability. Install one card, paying all costs. Use this ability immediately after playing an operation. Very similar to Biotic Labor, Wilfred. Uh, you need to use it after playing an operation, but since you've got uh, various things in faction, including Biotic Labor, but also including Lateral Growth, which allows you to install a card, but then maybe why would you want to install this? Uh, hmm. And still a card with this. I don't know. I'm sure there are ways to leverage plenty of uh, usefulness out of this after playing an operation. What are your thoughts? Yeah, I think it sort of fits in the theme of have like Jeeves style decks where you have Jeeves subliminal shipment from Sansan and you don't necessarily rely on Biotic Labor in order to fast advance your agendas. Mm. So this were and like it get that those having those kinds of cards in your deck in addition to biotic labor gives you more flexibility with regards to being able to score four for twos and five for threes as well like it's not like if you only have biotic labor as your fast advanced tool where you really have to um try really hard in order to score a five for three out of hand for example mm-hmm. um so with regards to that i think this card does have some potential in those kind of decks just because primarily i think because it allows you to operate from fewer credits than biotic labor does Mm -hmm. for example with something like um subliminal messaging or if you have subliminal shipment with this res then you can score from zero yes um or score score from two with the res cost or like i feel like these kind of cards allow you a lot of flexibility um if you can if like they synergize with a lot of things even if what the card does is not that powerful compared to biotic labor like it doesn't let you score something by itself but if you put enough of these cards together it definitely allows you to do something powerful i think um i think the issue with this card maybe compared to biotic labor is the trash cost Usually, Biotic Labor is a card that's safe to hold in your hand until you draw an agenda or until you find a situation where it's like beneficial to use your Biotic Labor. Whereas cards like this, you need to be a bit more aggressive with because you can't, you really can't just wait until the opportune time because your opponent has so much more ability to trash it than with Biotic Labor. Yeah. So it definitely lends itself to, a, in combination with Jeeves and um a- asset a more asset heavy deck where you can squeeze the runners um tempo in that way like you can force them to trash this when they don't necessarily want to trash it because they won't have the opportunity to later perhaps mm-hmm. thoughts on this one Hollis I agree with Wolfie there uh, I have a local player named John that uh has been working or playing with uh Byroid work crew in his uh like HB fast events deck and it it definitely you start to feel the crunch because it has all the normal combo pieces. It has the subliminal messaging, the shipment from Sans Sans, the you know embodied labors, things like that. Where and the Jeeves, where you just kind of need a few credits, just you know just three or so, and 
pretty much any combo you could think of to get to score this four two or three two out of hand is is reachable, and it does do that. It it, it creates that sort of um, that's it, it puts basically this like timer on the on the runner that says, hey, the corp has four credits now. Do you go now? Do you run and trash this right now? Because they can score with the right cards in hand, uh, and it's I, on the corp side. Uh, you know, a long article, long, long, long ago, written by Jeff Hollis, which is basically like I think it was called the Art of Genteki, where they were talking about work compression. Like the idea is you want to put the runner in a position where they're kind of forced to react, but without available resources, without, um, w- w- I mean, and, re- and react and <clears throat> respond while, while losing tempo. And I feel like Byroid work crew works really well in that respect. It makes the runner have to like go grab something to deal with this, and they, they may want to build up on their turn. They may want to gain more money or play that Temujin. It's also but worth you can't. Yeah, I think it's also worth noting that um, in the FAQ, if you play a terminal operation, you can actually use Byroid work crew in the first um, uh, paid ability window on the runner's turn. So you could use it somewhat like a um, advanced assembly lines in that sense to get your ETF credit on their turn in a pinch if you really needed to. Does that make sense? Wait, can you I, say that I again? Mis- yeah, I misunderstood. Try that one more Sure. Time. So by road work, work crew effectively reads, you can only use its ability in the next paid ability window after playing an operation. So if you play a terminal operation, the next paid ability window is in the runner's turn. Because oh, your turn that's ends. That's very strange. Yeah. So you can that's bizarre. play, use by road work crew's ability at the beginning of the runner's turn in the paid ability window after playing a terminal. Oh. Which. Yeah, that is, a little, that is a little odd. Yeah, can be relevant. Uh, yeah, could be. Uh, cool. Anyway, sorry, there's just a bit of an edge case, but I thought that was really interesting from the FAQ. Uh, it certainly could come yeah, up sometimes. Is. Cool. Uh, the next card in the pack is Ag Infusion. It's a really interesting Jinteki ID. Probably one of the more interesting IDs we've had for a really long time, actually. So I'm going to throw this one to you, Hollis, as the first game that I ever played against you, you were playing Jinteki, so you therefore must be a Jinteki player. Uh, it is a 45-17. 17, that's so much influence. Uh, once per turn, instead of resing an approached piece of ice, you may trash it to choose another server. The runner is now running on that server and encountering the outermost piece of ice, if any. Now, before I let you uh, go to town on this one, I'm just going to clarify for our listeners, because this is a really convoluted and confusing idea ability. Um, it's only once per turn, firstly. The ice has to be unresed. When you trash the ice as the runner's approaching it, they're now running the outermost piece of ice on a different server. Um, but if the outermost piece of ice is unresed, then the corp can't res it because they've already passed the window for resing ice. So the runner then proceeds past the outermost piece of unresed ice on the new on the second server, and they have a chance to jack out before they encounter the second ice. I think that's a really important thing to realize. So the corp can't just redirect you to unresed ice on another server at the outermost position to be able to res it and get you with it. The ice already has to be resed on another server. So anytime you make a run against this, you know what the possibilities are of what you can be redirected into because it's only resed pieces of outermost ice. Anyway, Hollis, take it away. Got it. All right, well, so, like, not even looking into the, like, the specific, a specific deck that's been created so far with Ag Infusion, just talking about the card by itself, to me, the one thing that, like, stands out that, to, that makes this card uh, 
the the ability is what makes this card like so decent is that you can stop like those uh event run cards that normally can be incredibly destruct like destructful um for the corporation so like account siphons even though even if you don't play into like trying to make sure you put the runner in a position to get killed there's something very strong in my opinion about having the ability to say account siphon well no account siphon attaches ice account siphon is is redirected you lose it you just don't get to do it mm. and sure and sure that can be that can be you know that can be obviously countered by by paying multiple account siphon things like that but that's a lot of resources now. More resources being poured into making sure that kind of a card effect goes in. Oh, I and, mean, and I really like that. Even if this red, you know, the first run event that the runner plays each turn is not as effective. That's pretty important given how it's pretty good given how important run events can be. Account siphon, legwork, right. maker's eye, deep data mining, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Yep. Yeah. I. I mean, to me, that's to me that's like the biggest selling point and then if we add into that that they have 17 influence it feels like it's actually i know that we're you know the the general judgment of whether or not a an idea is good is based on the fact that it's not balanced but this feels incredibly balanced as an id right like when you when you think about it in that regard if we if we break it down like that if we say it's a 17 influence shinteki id that provides you with the ability to effectively say no to account siphon or the deep data mining or maker's eye so on so on and so forth legwork that to me alone can be really strong so i'm not trying to agree uh, it's balanced it feels possibly bordering on overpowered to me like oh you think so oh wow i think i'd love to hear your thoughts yeah i think it's really interesting i think it's a fascinating design um i think though that being able to redirect the runner is a really powerful ability and giving that to the corp as an id ability means that if ice gets to a certain level of efficiency compared to ice breakers then this id ability becomes a lot better if that makes sense because uh, ice can be pushed um on the basis that the runner has a choice about when they encounter it to some degree and this id gets around that fundamental principle of netrunner um and for enables the corp to force the runner to encounter ice on a server they're not running on consistently in a way that we haven't seen before um and i think that can be a really 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 powerful effect as well as the redirecting idea that you've already mentioned and how that shuts down entire strands of runner strategies so i like it it definitely takes a bit of work at the moment uh but for me, it's a fascinatingly fertile ground in terms of building new Gintech, resilient Jinteki decks. Uh, did you want? Sorry, did you want to continue, Hollis, or Wilfie can chime in with his thoughts since he played against this a few times? No, w- Wilfie, um, go ahead. Sure. So I'll just say a couple things about Ag Infusion. Firstly, the yeah, when I looked at this, I really didn't know what to expect i think originally when we saw it at worlds i'm pretty sure i panned it but i can't that that was a long time ago so my memory is a bit fuzzy and it like disregarding the that the rules in themselves with regards to this are very complex just the play pattern of how games actually play out when you're playing against ag infusion it that's really interesting to me and i think that like as you said, Jesse, um, the 
like I think that Ag Infusion is the most interesting thing about Ag Infusion is that it gives you sort of another action that you can take outside of the regular turn window that does something very powerful. It's like sort of like having uh, a lot of mini Nisei Mark Twos. Yep. Which is a you know Nisei Mark Two is one of the best Jinteki cards, um, and has been good for the whole time. So this even getting uh ability that isn't as powerful as Nisei Mark II, but is still pretty powerful, that has to be um, considered, I think. So I will say a few things about the play pattern. Like, I think that the best... That you realized quickly, Jesse, that the best thing to do is to make sure that the corp has the fewest possible chances to res ice on different servers, or, like, have the fewest possible chances to res dangerous ice in general, mm-hmm. and especially res dangerous ice on the outermost um sections of their servers so sort of like rp in that respect but a bit different just because with rp you're the best thing to do against rp is to run on the server that's not necessarily the most like the easiest to get into if you just want to bounce off but you want you still want to get accesses on centrals whereas with ag infusion it's often good i think to just ignore one central entirely just so not only can your opponent not bounce you into it but they can't bounce you off of it to like they can't use their the unresed ice they've placed there to bounce you off it so that's i think really interesting and it takes without employee strike it takes a lot of consideration to play around the ability yeah and i think depending on how you've structured your runner deck what multi-access you have whether you have things that can disrupt hq like wanton destruction and more uh, or the new runner id alice merchant in the next pack um that depends on whether you choose hq or rnd like if you have all those hq disruption tools maybe you choose hq or you choose archives with alice or omar uh, but if you have things like Medium or if you're a Shaper who's deep digging R&D, then maybe you just focus on R&D, hope that they haven't got the agendas early in HQ uh, and just try and lock them down on R&D and not let them res the ice on the remote or on HQ early. Um, but yeah, I think definitely not running everywhere is a much better strategy against Ag Infusion. Because I think the worst thing that can happen playing against Ag Infusion is that you run like HQ once when it's like lightly defended. They spend even all of their credits to res the uh, dangerous ice there. You have to deal with that ice and also the Ag Infusion has the potential not only to bounce you to that dangerous ice but also bounce you from relevant servers to basically an irrelevant server. Yep. Yeah. Which so... is really strong if you if the corp can get into that situation, that's really, really strong. Yeah, and that's one that is a great example of what I was talking about earlier in terms of changing the ice icebreaker balance in the game. In that, normally a corp bankrupting themselves to res that HQ, I say it's a DNA tracker, can be a big risk for them. But if the corp knows that later that turn or on any future turn, if the runner then tries to run R&D, which is the natural way to try and punish a corp for bankrupting themselves, running, uh, resing ice on a one-one server, the corp can just redirect you straight back into that DNA tracker and you can't jack out. So the DNA tracker is effectively res not only on HQ, but on every server. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which is pretty yeah. good. Yeah. Interesting. Uh, Certainly a different way to play Netrunner.
which is what we like um, to see, I think, talk... Fridays. Yeah. Yeah, and should we talk about the cell portal nonsense that I was trying to wrap my head around quickly before the episode? Yeah, I mean, I think maybe not talking about specifically that, although we can if you want, but I certainly am just blown away by the option the options that you have as a deck builder for how to structure plays with this card like there's been you know cell portal whirlpool all the other trap ice different little pieces in jinteki that have come together over a long piece of uh, over a long period of time that haven't been consistent or powerful enough but when you've got something like ag infusion that is sort of a magnet that draws the runner towards those things at the time that you want them to uh all of them increase significantly in power level and i think there's a lot to be explored in the jinteki card pool in terms of cards that have really been underpowered because of how reactive they are to the runner's decisions uh, when you can force the runner to encounter them much more easily with this card Mm -hmm. yeah i agree any other thoughts hollis before we move on no i think that's really where we were pretty thorough guys Cool. I like it. Cool, cool. Uh, well, I'll definitely throw this one to you first, Hollis, and this is Bamboo Dome. It's a region, one to res, two trash, an upgrade, sorry. Uh, install only on the root of R&D. Very unusual. Click, reveal the top three cards of R&D, secretly choose one to add to HQ, and then return the others to the top of R&D in any order. So you look at the top three and show them to the runner. Then you choose one of those three, and put it in HQ, and then the others go back on top. What are your thoughts, Hollis? What? Um, uh, okay, so I my biggest issue with the card is, I guess, the limit, like, with what's revealed, because you can't control that. Like, the card could be... Th- this card is really weak to, like, horrible RNG. Like, for... like. It's one thing if you were just to look at the top three cards, right? Like, mm. if it said, look at the top three cards, choose one, add an HQ, return the others back to the top of R&D in any order, I'd be like, oh, okay, that's interesting. Because the the runner has no information. So, here's a scenario that I have. Like, you reveal the top three cards, and there's two agendas there. Okay. That's a really awkward spot now, because the runner, the runner knows what's there. They know that they can attack HQ if you draw the agenda. Or they know that there's two agendas on the on the top of R and D, and I don't ever like I don't if, if I if I can avoid giving that a runner that kind of information, I would do that. There's also the added negative, like the, the inherent negative, with just revealing information out of your deck. Like if, if you are playing something that's off meta, I I wouldn't want to risk or any like uh, any combination of kill cards or or anything like that. I wouldn't want to risk the runner seeing that plan. Mm. Celebrity gift gives you a huge benefit for revealing cards. And even then I find it so awkward to play sometimes just because I hate giving the runner all of those types of information that you just mentioned. This seems like something that's giving you an incremental advantage. It's essentially replacing your click to draw action with this click to filter from the top three, the one you want the most, but it's not even the one you want the most since you're giving away this really crucial information as well. I just, can't see how that can possibly be a good thing for the corp. Wilfie, do you have any thoughts? Um, just one. I kind of feel like this card is costed in the vein of it's like good, 
to have the ability to show the runner information because like you they see us like you use it you see a snare a fetal and a hedge fund for example yeah then you take a card at random and then oh the runner doesn't know where the snare could be yeah or whatever and <laughs> now they're scared of running either server i kind of feel like that was that's the intended use case for this card yep it's um, similar to, it's turning the top of r&d into um shell games there's been a few cards yes. like that yeah yes um and like i'm not we don't really need to go into in-depth detail as to why that's not a great idea but i think yeah like as you said celebrity celebrity gift is properly has properly costed giving you the runner information as a drawback whereas this hasn't cool uh next card of the pack is ben musashi it's an upgrade clone one to res three to trash each time the runner accesses an agenda from this server he or she must suffer two net damage as an additional cost in order to steal it this applies even during the run on which the runner trashes ben musashi hollis quick thoughts on this one uh yes there's very res three to trash (laughs) And two net damage? Hey, what do you guys think about Prysec? Well, this is uh, pretty different to Prysec, though, isn't it? It is pretty different. It is pretty different. But, like, what do you think about, like, a, a Prysec geared for Jinteki specifically? What do you think about that? It's good. Like, as in combining yeah. this with Prysec, do you think? or? You know, I mean, to, to be honest, I feel like you can combine this with, if you wanted to, you could, you could, you could combine this with Prysec. You could combine this with, uh, ugh, what is that other upgrade? Um the dev i cannot remember the name of it whenever you make a successful run on that server uh grid. yes hokusai grid um and then of course the new agenda that's coming mm. like i feel like it's this is very well and then of course the ex- existing agenda suite pre and post rotation like i feel like this is very well set up for jinteki to say look for coming in for coming into my server and selling this agenda there's a price to pay, and you will pay for it in blood. Uh, and my name is Chairman Hero, aka Wilford E. Horick. Um, yep. And that's that's how I feel. Like I, I feel like this adds another tool into that Genteki toolbox where we were like, where we were looking at this and going, man, it feels like they're so close to this weird like game where stealing every agenda is so so painful like you have to prepare so carefully to steal agendas from jinteki and i feel like this card is very good for that incredibly good for it yeah like it's that simple the combination with obokata protocol is so strong like the fact that they have to take six to steal that makes it very good i mean it of course there are ways that the runners can deal with that earthrise hotel and and various other ways to draw cards wildside whatever but it means that you can set up a lot of situations where your scoring windows not only relate to credits, they also relate to cards in hand. And I think that's a pretty cool thing to be able to do. And it's a great, I think, design space to go into to open up new ways for corpse to score agendas in remotes um, or even protect them in centrals other than requiring the runner to spend credits or requiring side games or requiring traces. I think it's a pretty cool design space. Wilfie? Yeah, I think that... The, hmm, I'm not sure about this card because I see the problem with that. The problem with the comparison to Prysec is that this needs an agenda in the server to 
do anything on the run in which the runner accesses it for the first time like um it's not really going to be the case that much of the time that you can put this in for example a central and the runner won't have the resources to trash it just because it's not that easy for like if you're playing this card you're not it's not easy for you to also squeeze the runner on credits it basically has to be net damage as you like cards in hand as you said just because it's really hard to interact uh, successfully on both axes from as the corp so for this card to trigger i kind of feel like it has to do so on the first run that the runner accesses it on which is already a sort of fairly narrow window this but the fact that this it's very hard for this to kill them like sort of like Prysac because Prysac only deals one meat damage but also the fact that they can always decline to take the damage and then run again like I, I understand that it's that plan is going to be much better once Jinteki has Obercarder Protocol because installing advancing advancing they run they can't steal this turn and then you can score next turn but I think without that this is a bit below like that strategy doesn't really come together unless you really have a way to push out agendas in remotes and this i think doesn't do that that well well i've been yeah i've been testing it together with caprice like as a one of with three caprice in the um biotech deck and it's pretty good to have this ability it just makes the overcarders safer on the turn that you try and score them and it's sort of like even if you get past Caprice. Well, I mean, in order for you to get past like Caprice and the Ice, then also have enough cards in hand to deal with this, the the likelihood of those things coinciding is even less likely. Like it adds another layer yeah. of something else the runner has to do to be able to steer your agendas. Yeah, so I suppose it's like a baddie that doesn't require you to play a side game. Correct. In fact, replace baddie <laughs> directly as a card swap. Yeah. Um... Yeah, and in that role, it's. I'm not sure whether it can replace Caprice. I mean, it can, but whether it will be as good, probably not. Um, whether it will be anywhere near as good, maybe. Maybe only in combination with Obercarta Protocol. Uh, maybe that's enough. I don't know. Next card in the pack is Authenticator. It's a two to res four strength code gate with one influence. It is an NBN card. When the runner encounters Authenticator, he or she may take one tag to bypass it. And the two subroutines are Corp Gains 2 and The Run. So a bit a Punisher card in the sense that the runner gets to choose which of the two options they would like to happen, or which of them they most don't want to happen, between the Corp Gaining 2 and The Run ending, or The Run continuing, the Corp not gaining 2, but the runner taking a tag. Are the two options both sufficiently bad to make giving the runner the choice a good enough thing for the corp? Wilfie? Um, like, in general, if you're going to ask that question, almost certainly not. Um, I think this card is most comparable to Gutenberg because it's, uh, like, Gutenberg is basically a two-cost, the runner, or, like, usually takes a tag or breaks it, um... The trace is high enough that it's not feasible for the like it's very rare for the runner to pay to match it mm-hmm. so this card i think is very similar in that regard um but the 
fact that they don't have to take a tag if they don't want to makes it a lot worse. Like, Gutenberg's basically always going to stick them with a tag unless they can break it, whereas this is only going to stick them with a tag if they want a tag, which seems like a poor proposition if you're going to include tagging ice in your deck. Yeah, presumably you care about tags if you have this card in your deck. Yeah, like, I mean, it's not the strength and strength subroutines and, well, kind of subroutines because it has an inbuilt way to bypass the subroutines, but the, like, cost to effect ratio isn't much better than Gutenberg to make the drawback that the runner doesn't have to take the tag if they don't want to. Um, the cost isn't low enough to make up for that. Yep, I agree. Hollis, any thoughts? Well, my thoughts would be, what do you guys think about this flavor text? I feel like it's specifically good because it helps segue to the next card. So let me read this out. Mm -hmm. It says, I'm sure there is no way this could go wrong for you. Uh, By Henry Phillips. And Henry Phillips is an upgrade, sysop, two to res, two to trash. Whenever the runner breaks a subroutine during a run on this server, gain two if he or she is tagged. So Henry Phillips does very little with Authenticator on its own but if you have a piece of ice on the inside of a server and then authenticator on the outside and they take the tag to go past the authenticator then they break the next piece of ice and you've rest henry phillips in the meantime you'll gain two credits whenever they break a subroutine and then they'll trash your henry phillips yes <laughs> yes they will yes they will yeah uh, this card just doesn't really do anything i think the con- number of conditions for it to be useful is just absurd. Yep, I think we'll leave it at that. The next card in the pack is Battlement. It's a three to res, Wayland Ice. It's a barrier, four influence. Strength two. It's got two and the run subroutines. So compared to Wall Static, you got one less strength, but you got one more subroutine. I am so sick of Wayland barriers that only end the run, Wilfie. Why does this card exist? Yeah, like, this has been a frequent topic of discussion on this podcast, but my favourite part about the whole situation is that the best barrier that only ends the run isn't even Wayland. Okay. Like, they couldn't even do it. Which one is it? Vanilla. Right, yeah, you're right. (laughs) And the the other, well, the next best barrier, or probably the actual best, is Eli, which is also not Wayland. Right, but Eli doesn't jump, like... Sure, sure. It would, <laughs> it's, it's not, not vanilla. It's not possible for Eli yeah. to be a Wayland card, right? But anyway, like, this card is, you know... Wall of Static is already pretty not good, and Wayland has lots of barriers that basically do the same thing. It's Spiderweb, but with a, ne- a one less subroutine, or it's Wall of Static with one less strength. However you want to look at it, it's like... you take away something and it's just like i'm yawning trying to think about about this card honestly (laughs) all right the next card in the pack is audacity (laughs) audacity what a great word it's zero to zero to play it's pretty cool it's an operation it's a triple no it's not a triple i'm thinking of the wrong card the next card is a triple my favorite card red planet careers no this one's just a normal operation play only if there are at least three cards in hq Trash all cards in HQ. Oh, God. Place a total of two advancement tokens on up to two cards that can be advanced. All right, so hear me out. It's a zero-cost 
biotic labor in effect that you're getting an extra clicks worth of advancement tokens um, and it's even a bit better than biotic labor in the sense that you're also getting the advancement tokens for free so you're saving the credits so you're getting the, essentially the advancement click and the credits for both advancements well no because you're spending a click to play the cloud okay so for, you're getting a click and two credits um, for zero credits which is pretty cool but you have to trash at least three cards from hq so could you see a place for this in a Wayland fast advanced deck, whether it's a, a new style Titan fast advanced deck or a Jemison fast advanced deck using Oberth protocol, where you just use your one of or two of this to score your last agenda? Yeah, I mean, yeah. I actually think... Oh, Hollis, do you want to take this one? Or? No, please, go. Go in. Yeah, so I actually think that, like, those kind of decks already want biotic labor, but you're just squeezed for influence, and this card is worse than biotic labor because it's not as flexible um but like having an infaction biotic labor is still wayland is has been pining for that since the beginning of the game right like i will say though that sacrifice does sort of already do the same thing in jemison yes but only in jemison i think that yep. this car like that makes it uh, that makes talking about it a bit different i think true um Whereas this card is a bit more directly comparable to Biotic Labor. Yep. The main issue I can see is that play only if there are at least three cards in HQ. That doesn't include itself, right? You need three other cards? No, it does. According it to does the... include itself. Oh, okay, yeah. cool. So you need two other cards. So if you want to use it to fast advance an Atlas, then you need to have Atlas, at least Atlas, Audacity, and... Two other cards two other cards in hand before your mandatory draw, right? No. No? Because you have to play the Atlas before you play Audacity, otherwise yep. you'll trash the Atlas. But the Audacity counts itself. Oh, I see. Okay, sure. So you need four cards in hand at the start of your turn. One of them has to be Audacity and another has to be Atlas or whatever, right? Well, no. You need, before, as in after your mandatory draw, before your first click. Yes. You need to have an Audacity and Atlas. But at the start of your turn, before you draw, you only need one of the two. Like, one of Audacity or Atlas in your hand. Okay, sure. Yeah. Fine. Like, if you're going to Audacity to score Project Atlas, you yes. need two other cards to throw away. Mm-hmm. Which means that before your mandatory... Like, in order to have that situation set up during your turn, you need to keep three cards in your hand, right? I think that's the biggest issue. Why is that an issue? Because, like, in, like, being able to buy a labor an agenda, especially in Wayland where you only have, where you have relatively few three for twos, you have only Project Atlas. Yeah. The, like, there's often a, only a very small window where you'll be able to do it, right? Like, where you'll be able to do it safely without, before your opponent has a chance to steal it. Mm-hmm. So, needing to keep cards in hand, I think, is worse than needing to keep credits for biotic labor in order to do the same thing. Like, that's the comparison that I'm trying to draw. Okay, so, are you thinking early in the game, it's going to be challenging for you to have two other cards in hand other than your two combo cards, if you like? Well, not necessarily just early in the game, but I mean... 
you have to think about not dropping below two cards if you want to have the chance to do this like when you have one of these two cards in hand and you draw the other right I think that's a fairly like large drawback in addition to the fact that you need to trash those cards yeah yeah it's definitely clunky let's put it that way and the fact that you can't put them together as well to score a a four for two from hand is pretty miserable like no matter how many cards you have in hq because you have to trash all cards in hq to pay the first one yeah Mm. but like Regardless of all that, it's still a Wayland fast advance tool, so I'm certain it'll be played somewhere. Like, <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah, cool. Yeah, I think that's a pretty good summary. The next card in the pack is Red Planet Couriers, which is a personal favorite of mine uh, because it enables all sorts of fun and interesting shenanigans. I, when the cycle as a whole was spoiled, I was really excited for this card to come out because it has a really high power ceiling. Basically, anything that says move all advancement tokens is has potential to do great things. So this is an operation, a triple. It costs five and it's four influence. As an additional cost to play it, you have to spend two extra clicks. So it takes three clicks to play. Move all advancement tokens from all installed cards to one card that can be advanced. What does that say to anyone with a little tiny spark of Johnny inside them? It says, here's your opportunity to score a government takeover realistically within one turn. And as someone who is most certainly more than got has more than just a little spark of Johnny inside them. This excited me greatly, and I immediately rushed back to my Jemison deck, jammed a government takeover in there, jammed this in there, and put in some biotic labels, biotic labors, and got to work scoring government takeovers, which has been a great deal of fun. Um, unfortunately, it doesn't work out quite as often as you would like because you know, uh, Wayland still doesn't have the capacity to defend its central servers even um, against the multitude of runner threats consistently. Siphon still ruins Wayland's day so much of the time. Uh, And so does Clot. I mean, a lot of people are playing Clot and Sacrificial Constructs at the moment. So, yeah, the fact that you, in order to realistically um, fast advance out a card with this, you need to be playing Crisium Grid and Cyberdex Virus Suite to protect your centrals from being siphoned or mediumed and to protect um, yourself from getting clotted. Plus, developing your game plan is kind of annoying, but it's also fun, the fact that you're getting the benefit from advancing your ice and those advancement counters are essentially still counting towards you winning the game. Things like Dedication Ceremony become great because you can get three at once uh, on a rest piece of ice. You can put your Hortums or your Morsalus or uh, your Colossus into their second mode. Um, you can just build up a large firewall on R&D, which is not always the worst thing to do, or on HQ. And then later in the game, you can transfer those advancement counters which you got for a discounted rate from your dedication ceremony onto your government takeover or another large agenda that you want to score. It's a different value proposition that Wayland hasn't had before. Constellation Protocol was the next best card that did this sort of thing. And this just is so many miles beyond Constellation Protocol they don't even deserve to be mentioned in the same sentence. So in that sense, <laughs> it's a really exciting card. I'm looking forward to trying to optimize it even more. Um, and depending on the quality of the advanceable ice, which hopefully will keep improving, 
things like Hortum and Colossus were great steps in the right direction. And if things keep going in that direction and perhaps Wayland gets some more defensive upgrades or other utility cards that support this sort of strategy, I can see it working out. Hollis. Well, uh, I'm on the same page. Like, I feel like I do think this card very much appeals to this, like, this, this this like super strategy that they want to they, they want to try to adhere to where like you said they want to score those government takeovers i see where it can be a bit more practical if you try to utilize a lot of the advanceable ice and then get to a critical mass and say all right and we're gonna put them all here in this instance and then we're gonna move them again to here i think that's cool too um to me it feels like this is the kind of card that uh what, what am i thinking like i hate this is gonna be a really bad comparison i know no one's gonna agree i guess but it sort of reminds me of um, accelerated diagnostic in a, in a sense. Like immediately, you can't immediately. It doesn't look busted immediately, but then you're like, wait a minute. Like the combination of cards that are available now makes this really, really powerful, and it sort of snuck up and became this like ridiculous thing. Um, and accelerated accelerated diagnostic, you know, was basically from the time CI had been available, and we had all these other tools, like all these other. Um, oh goodness, what are they called? Like uh, clearances, like clearance cards. It was pretty apparent. Like, okay, there's a lot of potential here that's like really, really fast, and we don't we don't want this to like remain a relevant thing in the game anymore. I feel like this card almost is on that borderline. Like, depending on like if like depending on the card pool, it feels like because it is all counters. Like, it has that similar potential where it's like if they mess up once and print something too strong with a lot of counters, like good luck. I'm hoping somebody, like, takes... I hope someone actually plays Tyrant and, like, makes me laugh and giggle a bit and then, like, just mm -hmm. ruins the game, ruins Netrunner with Tyrant. With All right, so Hunters on it. I think this card has enough drawbacks, being a triple and costing five and requiring advancement tokens to actually be put somehow on the board that it's never going... Well, I, I won't say never, but despite the fact that its power ceiling is uncapped by the fact that it says all, I don't think it can break the game any more than something like boom already does and this was something i actually wanted to mention because wilfie and i were discussing this the other day that red planet couriers and boom are actually really similar cards like boom says if you fulfill these conditions you can pay four and two clicks and you win the game right red planet couriers says if you fulfill these different conditions you can pay five and three clicks and you win the game and the conditions to get boom to work when you're in a world that has 24 7 news cycle and breaking news in it are not particularly hard to fulfill. The conditions for Red Planet Couriers can, are a lot harder to fulfill. They still can be fulfilled, but it takes you a lot more work. Yes, you can use Atlas Counters to fetch your either your Biotic or your Red Planet Couriers or your Government Takeover. Yes, you can use things like Glen Station or Daily Business Show to hide away your Government Takeovers. But all of that is a lot more work than a Sync Boom deck ever has to do to get Boom to work. So this, to me, is like a slightly or very much less good version of boom depending on the metagame are you going to be slotting tyrant uh in the eventuality that you'll just wreck uh, wreck the game hollis i feel like i said something really <laughs> profound just then and, and it really was <laughs> a, an intelligent comment and and you just completely brought it back down to earth by talking about Tyrant, and I'm really upset about that. Um, I love you, Jesse. <laughs> but the, the answer to your question is, no, I will never play Tyrant in a deck, and I am so glad that that card is rotating. And I, If you like, I will tear up my Tyrants, and I will mail them to you. No, don't rotate. do that. Please don't do that. No. <laughs> I've gone down this road. Don't do it. Uh, all good. Um, no, but... Yeah. I, 
I think those are valid points. I feel like I, I think you you definitely explained it well. The fact that it is so much more restrictive for being that powerful means that it's definitely not any like it's not as like an I like an what we're, I'm I'm searching for the words, but basically it's not as annoying to encounter as like something like Boom, where it feels like you said a lot easier to conf- to fulfill the conditions that effectively say two clicks in the game, right? So I I, I 100% agree with that. Sweet deal. Uh, last card in the pack is Owl. It is an Ice Sentry, two to res, neutral, strength one. It's got one subroutine, and it says, subroutine, add one installed program to the top of the stack. Now, Wilfie, you ran into a parliament of owls in the top four of the Melbourne regionals, which we won't spoil because we're discussing next week, but what do you think of the card? Yes, yeah, so owl was very good against me in that situation, and I think it's not a bad card in general. Like, It's sort of like a mini archangel. It's a bit different in that it can only hit programs and it returns it to the stop, top of the stack as opposed to to the hand but I feel like the like in uh, most other respects it's fairly well maybe I won't say it's fairly similar but I think that's the best comparison Archangel is a very strong card so any card that does something similar I think should be Considered. I think the main advantage to this is that it's a very cheap sentry that doesn't necessarily get worse as the game goes on. Like, unlike something like Cortex Lock or what are some other cheap sentries that are playable nowadays? Um, uh, Cobra? Cobra? Yeah, Cobra. Hmm. Hmm. I don't know. Sentries <laughs> well, like, aren't very good. <laughs> Yeah. I mean, I kind of feel like this is not a. If all the most runners are going to play MK Ultra, this is not such a bad value proposition if it's the only sentry in your deck, for example. Like, if even. Basically, the Conspiracy Breakers have made. Like, surprising the runner with sentries a lot worse. So, having a card that only costs two does something relevant every time the runner runs into it and that thing can be and is still impactful when the runner can't break it i think is a strong card even if it's yeah. not that um even if it's vulnerable to parasite or whatever it's still that the ability to only pay two for a card and have it be this relevant is strong yeah i think it's the same way that crick behaved in decks where you, the Juntechi player resident on archives it costs you a lot to break comparatively for the effect um it cost the runner it cost the court very little to res sometimes the runner would just let it fire and if they did it would have an effect that was pretty beneficial to the corp though not crippling Does yeah i think makes sense good, yeah yeah i think that's a good way to put it yeah and i think that's like you say with in a world of conspiracy breakers where blowouts from ice are a lot less frequent i think that's a good way to construct a corp deck and it's certainly got a place in any sort of corp strategy that's trying to eke out incremental advantage and the the deck that we've seen it played in was ag infusion i think it fit really well in there a uh a friend of mine had mentioned that they like what they really like about this card is also that it sort of feeds into the existing like low level gear check ice that we see so the quandary the vanilla like having knowing that you can form a deck that very like very much so you know has quandary vanilla and uh 
an owl and it's it's all of it's like incredibly cheap and it just gear checks and and sets the runner back even if it's just one turn or or two clicks or what have you is incredibly like it's a good space it means that the corpse get another you know i talk i've been saying tools and toolboxes but it gives the corpse another tool to work with where they can have this like very early game eyes that doesn't just directly in the game but you know it forces you know you to, to focus on like how you're going to run running naked is will is now getting increasingly more difficult you're going to need to find the tutor for the century earlier and I, I know the game has been like that for a while of course but um you definitely don't want to like <laughs> you definitely don't want to like use your paperclip from installing it from the discard pile just to be able to like encounter the owl you can't break it now it goes back on top of the deck like that seems like it's really bad yeah the fact that that thread exists for two credits right is pretty right, cool right. Yeah, and I think especially now with Conspiracy Breakers, I'll just say quickly, putting it on top of the deck is sort of sometimes better than putting it, than trashing it, mm. which like especially like with the particular with the Conspiracy Breakers in particular, but that's I think makes this card a lot better than it might seem on its face. Absolutely. And that brings us to the end of our pack review for Earth Scion and to the end of our very special double episode this week. So we hope you've enjoyed. It's allowed us to catch up a little bit on some of the backlog of pack reviews. Terminal Directive was a bit of a marathon slog for us to get through, and we've certainly tried our best to both get through that and to bring you the rest of the Red Sand Cycle in order. So we hope you've enjoyed our Earth Cycle pack review. We'll be back next week with a regionals recap. Uh, and then beyond that, we'll be diving straight into the blood and water uh, card previews. and Well, not card previews, but card discussion. So we hope you enjoy those as well. I've been Jesse Marshall here with Wilfie Horrig and Hollis Echo for The Winning Agenda. If you want to get in touch with us, you can find us on Facebook at The Winning Agenda. You can send us an email to thewinningagenda at gmail.com. You can find us on Twitter at Winning Agenda. And if you want to f- throw a few dollars our way, you can head along to www.patreon.com slash the winning agenda and join our wonderful and beloved Patreon supporters community. Thanks for listening. Uh, please, for the love of everything good, do not actually slot tyrant. But thanks, everyone. Thanks so much. 